And now I'd like to ask you to help me welcome to the stage our speaker for this morning, our Senior Minister, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Good morning. Here we are. You know, we do this twice on Sundays, and it's always, I always, this one is, we've settled in finally, so, Sunday, so it's just a little, not that, uh, so don't tell the people to come to the early service that, okay? It's just different, because it's, you know, it's 11.45, so that's why it's different. All right, good morning, welcome back. It's not the same without you. The, the Baptist sisters have returned from the... <laughs> love seeing you here. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Maybe a little bit. All right, so what I'm going to invite you to do, if you would be willing, is to stand and sing, and let's say our prayer as we come together and continue to build this vibration of the Most High. And if you'd like to stay seated, you know, of course, that's good as well. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear or spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room I invite you to know with me in this moment I recognize that one life, one power, and the one presence. And as you and I come into the recognition and remembrance of that, I know that we are reminded, as I am reminded, that that life is my life. It is your life. It is everywhere present. It is alive and creating and sustaining and moving and having its way by means of each and every one of us. And the beauty of coming together and the beauty of our tradition is that we particularize it in a, in a specific way we understand it and we understand it as unique and powerful and potent by means of our unique powerful and potent presence and as we continue to evolve and grow to deepen and to, to share and to fall down and to get back up and to be disappointed and to find the joys and all of that because that what that is what life offers us it is our opportunity in each one of those moments joyful or sorrowful to be reminded of the divine nature of our being and to understand that our souls our being is eternal and that we continue in this outward and upward spiral of, div of divine expression. And so today I know that everything necessary for myself and for you that is right and perfect to be brought into our awareness so that we may make that next step to walk through that, that next doorway, to cross that threshold with as much clarity as possible, with the, the opportunity and the possibility that awaits us, it is here now. 
In the remembrance of that, I give thanks because I know that you and I are not in this alone, that we are standing that divine co-creation together. For this, I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Beautiful, beautiful. So great to have Brown back and Karen playing her horn. And I didn't know you cleaned buses. I got... This is good news. <laughs> and Carrie, wherever Carrie went, thank you, Carrie Day. She's just a, she's an angel, is what she is. So we've designated this month for spiritual practice, and today wanted to discuss this idea of love as spiritual practice. Um, Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, I'm going to use quite a bit of his stuff today because uh, he, he spoke to this in quite a beautiful way. And... Um, Love is, is such a subjective term in that, you know, for, it means so many different things to so many different people. But what Holmes did, there's a wonderful article on the Internet, if you're interested in reading the whole thing or parts of it, by uh, Reverend Matthew Fox. And he has taken nine of the qualities that Dr. Holmes expressed and he has expanded upon those ideas quite beautifully and he talks about the beautiful experience he's had with getting to know people over the years uh, from the the religious science movement because he has been a keynote speaker in a a number of our um, of our uh, conferences and so he articulates beautifully um, Dr. Holmes perspective on things one of the wonderful things about um, uh, in in, uh, number six the point number six he makes is that Holmes had a deep perspective of 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 ecumenism or the, the ecclesiastical or the spiritual approach. And he, what he did is he, as, um, as Reverend Fox says, he cited from the Tao Te Ching, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, the Talmud, the Quran, the Bible, the Hermetic philosophy, and more. Holmes said, all, scripture, all scriptures declare that humanity is the spiritual image and likeness of God. So in other words, he studied all these various traditions and the one common denominator was at the end of it, if you go to the depth of all the teachings, was that you and I are individualized expressions of spirit. And so it's one of the unique components, not that it isn't alive in the other traditions, but typically it's the, it, there's so much doctrine and there's so much um, structure in the way of that experience that, they, that typically that it's abdicated, that the critical thinking for the individual is put down. And then so we go through the priest or we go through the monk or we go through the, the organization to have an, uh, an experience of the infinite. And so we don't, it's not that we're critical of that, it's just that we don't find that as effective as just simply understanding who we are and whose we are. So he also, Dr. Holmes also quoted Professor Max Mueller when he said, and I think this is why we're here as a community. I think this is what we stand for in this this next sentence I'm going to share. True religion of the future will be the fulfillment of all the religions of the past. Love and embrace what is good in each. True religion of the future will be the fulfillment of all the religions of the past. Love and embrace that which is good in each. In other words, that our opportunity here is that we don't have to d- d- dismantle anyone's core beliefs or tradition. It's to just simply realize that what we stand for is the oneness of life and the divinity within all of us. And so when we look at the other traditions and we find that, I believe that that's the most ins- uh, important component of it. And so with that in mind, I wanted to, sh- because we're talking about love today, and I have a, an author by the name of uh, Henry Nguyen, and I know that Henry is a, is a minister or was a minister. I'm not even sure if he's alive. 
wonderful writer. I'm reading a book called The Way of the Heart. And uh, it's called The Spirituality of the Desert Fathers and Mothers. Now, the Desert Fathers and the Mothers were pretty much founded by St. Anthony. I didn't know this about St. Anthony. Uh, And they lived, obviously, as the title says, in the desert. And they were recluse. And so their form of prayer was they would remove all distractions from their lives. And so I want to read you a little bit about this because it leads to what I think is what Holmes is talking about, about the heart. And it's based on this tradition of, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Hesiastic prayer. Hesiastic prayer. Hesiastic prayer comes from the Eastern traditions and from the Greek Orthodox tradition. And what they would say was that they would work within their own beingness to, to remove all distractions. And so in the removal of all distractions, they would come into a place where the soul can rest with God and where the prayers of the heart. For us who are so mind-oriented, which we're in the science of mind here, it is of special importance to learn to pray with, the, with and from the heart. The spiritual writers of Mount Sinai, Mount Athos, and the Starsi of the 19th century Russia are all anchored in the tradition of the desert. So this is, this is filtered through all traditions over time. I just never knew where it started. We find the best formulation of the prayer of the heart in the words of Russian mystic Theopan the Recluse. Quote, To pray is to descend with the mind into the heart and there to stand before the face of God, ever-present, all-seeing within you. To pray is the, des- the descend of the mind into the heart and there to stand before the face of God, ever-present, all-seeing within you. Prayer is standing in the presence of God with the mind and the heart. That is at the point of our being where there are no divisions, no distractions, and where we are totally one. Where God's spirit dwells and there the great encounter takes place. Their heart speaks to heart. Holmes said, when deep calls unto deep. Same thing. And when we stand in that, when you have that experience... And I think that we, those of us, see, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's really at the core of what we teach, it's oneness. It's about eliminating the distractions and the opinions and the biases that we have of other things that are in life. Not that we don't discern them, not that we don't see them, but we just choose more effectively and we, and we, direct, we direct our thinking and our attention to where we decide, not that, rather than being pulled out of that. And that requires practice. That requires spiritual practice. So the spiritual practice of love. It says, when we have, to, we have to realize that where the, the word heart is used in its full biblical meaning, in our milieu, the word heart has become a soft word. It refers to the seed of the sentimental life. Expressions such as brokenhearted or heartfelt show that we often think of the heart as the warm place where the emotions are located in contrast to the cool intellect where our thoughts find their home. But the word heart in the Jewish Christian tradition refers to the source of all physical, emotional, intellectual, volitional, and moral energies. So in other words, it's much more than simply the soft place. It's, it's, where, we, it's where our soul resides. It's where we connect in so many ways. And it's not that sentimentality can't be part of that. It's not that brokenheartedness can't be a part of that, but it's not the totality of it. He continues, from the heart arises unknowable impulses. Unknowable impulses. What am I being called to here? What's going on here? You know, part of this journey that I think sometimes gets diminished, and I was reminded of it just before service, in visiting with somebody I hadn't seen in quite a time, was talking about the changes that have been going on in her life. 
And, and she was sharing that several months ago, things were starting to shift and change, and then and everything kind of f- fell apart or, or, or imploded, and then all of a sudden the healing started. But it's a journey for us. And I think the tendency sometimes is to diminish that journey and to dim- diminish the times when things fall apart, and it can become real discouraging when we think we're alone in this. But if we realize if we've asked for the healing, if we've asked for the new experience, if we've asked for the transformation, and then things begin to shift and change and it becomes very uncomfortable, it's part of the process that moves us into giving birth to the new experience. And so how do we honor that? How do we honor ourselves? How are we kind and gentle with ourselves? How, how do we nurture that and understand that it's not because things are, are falling apart because we've done something wrong, it's things are falling apart because something new is seeking expression. And see, that's one of the beautiful things that we offer as a spiritual tradition. I mean, all spiritual traditions offer that. But to not spin into that as something that is unwanted and unnecessary, because it's very necessary. From the heart arises unknowable impulses as well as conscious feelings, moods, and wishes. The heart, too, has its reasons and is the center of perception and understanding. See, there's an intelligence there. Finally, the heart is at the seat of the will. It makes plans and it comes to good decisions. Thus, the heart is the central and unifying organ of our personal life. Our heart determines our personality and is therefore not only the place where God dwells, but it's also the place where we can get distracted. It is, the, it is this heart that is the place of prayer. The prayer of the heart is a prayer that directs itself to God from our center of the person and thus affects the whole of our humanness. And so... I don't want to. I, I want to expand on an idea of heart because I think it's so important. There was a, uh, and I want to use a, a story to illustrate that because there was a wonderful thing that happened this last week, and I know many of you probably saw it. It was on the internet, but I, I, I studied it and studied it, and I thought about it. And it's this young girl by the name of Malala Yousafzai, and she was the young girl. Did anybody see it on the internet? She spoke before the UN Youth Assembly this week, and you can go on. And if you put Youth Assembly UN, young girl from Pakistan, something like that, you'll find it. The speech is there in its entirety. But it was 18 minutes. And Malala got before, uh, stood before her. And the reason that she was asked to speak, it was, uh, I think it was her 16th birthday this week. And they actually, the UN actually named a day after her, Malala Day. Um, she, in October 9th of 2012, uh, she was out promoting education in Pakistan for young girls especially and uh, the rights of children to be educated and one of the members of the Taliban came up and shot her in the forehead and um, so she struggled to survive and she recovered and so then they brought her to the uh, UN Assembly to speak and so what she had to share was so much what we teach it was so much of what Dr. Holmes would say we stand for because she had an experience and, 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 uh, and I don't think anyone here would agree with that experience or think that she in any way asked for that, but she had an experience. And then what she's done with the experience and how she has interpreted it and shifted her perception and taking what, was, what influenced her as a young girl to, to stand before hundreds of people and say, this is what I stand for as a result of this experience, I believe is exactly what Dr. Holmes would say, this is our teaching. This is what we support. This is what we pour our resources and our love into it. So when, you, when you're here and I say, why do we have this community and we can get this anywhere? It's not that we are the only place that does this, but we're the only place that does this like we do it. And so we only do here 
what only we can do. And that is the, for me, it's the transformation of consciousness. It's through education. It's through sharing these perceptions. It's looking out in the world and saying, where's our teaching in this? Where is our teaching in that someone can come up with a, with a gun and shoot some young girl in the head to end the conversation? So she, number one, she stood before them and she was wearing the shawl that she was given to wear uh, that, was, that had belonged to Benazir Bhutto. Um, I don't know if you remember her, but she was assassinated several years ago. A beautiful woman that was the president of Pakistan for a number of years and she was uh, assassinated. So she was given the shawl to wear while she shared. So she stood before this assembly in this beautiful pink sari and this shawl. And she said on October 9, 2012, a member of the Taliban shot me through the left side of my forehead. And they thought the bullet would silence me, but nothing changed except this. So what happened when she was shot, this is what happened. She said, weakness, fear, and hopelessness died. Weakness, fear, and hopelessness died. So it did transform her, but it didn't weaken her. What happened, she said, was strength, fever, and courage were born. Strength, fever, or fever, and courage were born. My hopes and dreams are the same, she said. I am not against anyone, nor am I here to seek personal revenge against the Taliban or any other terrorist group. I am here to speak of the rights of education of every child. So what she did in all of this turmoil, all of this pain, is she, it empowered her and she continued to move towards her bigger yes. But she had a choice in all of this, did she not? And she'd have every good reason to call it a day and stay home and protect herself. But she didn't do that. She said, I'm not against anyone. I want education for the sons and daughters of the Taliban and all terrorists. I do not hate the man who shot me. Even if he were standing in front of me and I had a gun in my hand, I would not shoot him. I don't know if I would have done that at 15 or 16 years old. She said, and then she continued, this is the compassion I have learned from Muhammad, Jesus Christ, and Buddha. This is the legacy I have inherited from Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela. If you notice, some of these people are hanging on our walls here. Not all of them, but many. This is the nonviolence I have learned from Gandhi and Mother Teresa. And this is the forgiveness I have learned, I have learned from my mother and father. What a beautiful speech. And this is what my soul is telling me. There's this beautiful little girl, young lady. This is what my soul is telling me. Be peaceful and love everyone. Be peaceful and love everyone. The extremists are afraid of books and pens. The power of education frightens them. Isn't that fascinating? But isn't it true? Let's maintain the status quo. Let's go back to the good old days. And there were good things in the good old days. But we, do we have to go back to have good old days again? The extremists are afraid of books and pens. The power of education frightens them. Dr. Ernest Holmes said to learn how to think is to learn how to live. If you, are, you or I are struggling, or if we're in limitation or lack, or we're in a situation in our life, it's, it's not that we're doing something wrong, it's just simply that we're not operating very effectively. We are not being punished by some arbitrary force that says, oh, I don't like you. 
I'm going to mess with you now just because. It doesn't work that way. If we're struggling and we're suffering and we're, we're, we're hanging by on our fingertips, it's something that we brought into our experience to help shape our consciousness and to help us grow. And it's a result of the, the seeds that we have planted that we're having this experience. And I have compassion and I have empathy for you, but I can't pry that away from anyone. And, and you can't pry it away from me. So it's our responsibility to do our own work and do our own examination and then go through the, the transformation of our consciousness to have a different experience. This is, this is education. This is what we stand for, the, the, to take this capacity we have, this, this potentiality that we have, and to have it expressed more completely and fully. Last week I was in the back, and you know, we've, been, we've been talking about going to see John of God again, and I've had a lot of feedback from it, and it's all wonderful. Because where I am at a point in my life is when people have questions about it or whatever, or, or one extreme to the other, I just simply say, well, I can only speak from my experience. But someone came to me last week, hadn't been here in several years, but heard that we were going on this trip and has signed up and, and but had been with Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer, on a cruise recently and said that I just saw Wayne Dyer and he talked about his experience with John of God extensively. And so she said to me, I went up to, um, she shared with me, she went up to one of the, the assistants at the Wayne Dyer thing and said, why do we need this guy, John of God? We're all God. We're all God. Why do we need this and the reply was, because too much of us gets in the way. Too much of us gets in the way. Why do we need a practitioner? It's no different. Too much of us gets in the way. And so for me, I just know in my heart that it's a wonderful, it's, a, it's an experience like none other I've ever had. It's an experience of just where that part of me that has gotten in the way most of my life sort of melted. And I'm, and I'm fascinated to watch. A lot of it hasn't crept back in. Some of it, but when it creeps back in, I go, well, I'm not doing that anymore. But it's been interesting because to have it be exposed to that openness and to that, vi that, that quantum field, as I would call it, where there's no time, no space, and everything is, you stop measuring and you stop judging completely. Reminded me so much of this prayer of the Desert Fathers. You're just there with spirit. And so for me to have that beautiful experience and to realize, well, this is what we teach, this is what we nurture, and to have more people experience that, it's a wonderful thing because I want that too much of me that gets in the way to be quieter and quieter and quieter. And so if you're called to it, you're called to it. And if you're not called to it, it's okay because we continue to build it here. There are people here right now doing the, holding the consciousness as practitioners and people that have been reading some of the John of God stuff and helping hold the current for us because there's a healing vibration that we, we, we connect with here, we generate here. So it's very much what we do. But the problem is, is for most of us, myself included, I'm too smart. And so my intellect tries to transcend the intellect. It becomes very difficult because the tool I'm using is ineffective. I finally have to just give up and surrender. This young girl continues. There was a time when women were asked, asked men to stand up for women's rights. And then she looked at everybody and said, this time we will do it for ourselves. Not that, not that men are trying to divide men and women, but to simply say to women, it's time that we do it on our own and stop waiting for somebody's approval. Do you know that there's 60 million, a year ago there were 60 million children on the planet that had no access to education? And most of them were girls because it's not a popular idea in many countries to educate women. Because you wouldn't want to educate women because women are the ones that change the culture and raise the children and teach and all that stuff. Uh, this last year it was 57 million. So it's improving, but not a whole lot. 
So she said, I raise my voice, not so that I can shout, but so that those without a voice can be heard. We must realize the importance of our voice. Isn't that interesting? Marcia Sutton would always say, what we hear, we forget, what we see, we remember, and what we say, we become. And here she's talking about the power of our voice. She's continued, dear brothers and sisters, realize the importance of light when we see darkness. See, we're the ones here, if we're working our spiritual practice, we're the ones that can bring the light to the darkness. The possibility and the potential to bring it to the situations that seem... Because if you read the paper and you look out in the world, it looks quite hopeless at times, does it not? There's a lot of stuff going on in the world that's just really depressing. And if we continue to buy into that, then who, who brings the light to that? Who are the torchbearers? We're the tribe of this... We're, we're part of this tribe of light bearers, of people that understand Dr. Dr. Uh, Holmes and, and Matthew Fox, in his articulation of Holmes' work, talks about, he calls it creation spirituality. Holmes' whole thing was that it's, we're, we're always, see, we can't diminish it. We can't destroy it. We can operate from ignorance, but we cannot, we cannot destroy the light that is within us. Holmes says what we can do is we mold and we remold through our thinking. But the truth of our being is eternal and is, it is untouchable but we can certainly slide off the rails and go into areas of, of uh, thinking and being and doing that are not very productive. She said, Dear brothers and sisters, realize the importance of light when we see darkness. The extremists are afraid of books and pens. They are afraid of women. They are afraid of change. They are afraid of equality. The terrorists are misusing Islam for their own personal benefit. But we, we see that in every tradition. We see the mystics in every tradition. We see the ones that cherry-pick their teaching and then they use it for their own self-serving um, ends or desires or goals. I was in a, a store uh, a couple days ago and there was a girl there that, with the scarf on and I, you know, I realized that she was a Muslim. And so I just, there was some time and there wasn't anybody behind me and I said, can I ask you a question about your faith? And she said, sure. And I said, when you're working, because it was, you know, it was, um, it was um, one of the big box stores. I was in there buying something, I was fixing something at home. And I said, when you're at work, do they let you, do they give you time to pray? Because I know you pray five times a day. And I think that's a wonderful practice. But I just wondered if, are there periods of time where you're given time to pray? And she kind of looked off into the distance and she said, well, I think I'm supposed to be praying in the morning. <laughs> and then sometime in the afternoon and so I, I had my answer and, and, I, and, I, and I, I mean I, I didn't judge it but I just thought even when you know if we had outfits that we wore that said we were science of mind people I think mohawks would be good for us but that's just <laughs> thinking about it but, but even, you know we can, we, can all, we can all dress up but it really comes down to practice and I realized here's this young girl that's obviously in a family she was probably didn't have a lot of choice in it and she's she's dressed up but she's not in the practice because it was obvious from her answer that you know she didn't even know what time she was supposed to be praying and I thought okay because I had the always I always fall into this assumption if someone has the courage to to wear that as a as a an outward expression of their faith they're probably really devoted to it and of course the practice would follow that and that's just not the case so it was good learning for me and not that it matters either, but I was surprised the mindset that I fell into with that. The terrorists are misusing Islam for their own personal benefit. And we see that, and we see it, and it's happening, but it's always happened. 
I mean, we've always had, we've always had factions that, that decide that our way is the only way. That was what the Spanish Inquisition was all about. I mean, it goes back, you find it all throughout history, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's always going to be there probably. So do we keep fighting that or we keep reaching for the bigger yes? And she said, I don't want to kill them. I want education for their children. Because she knows that killing them is not going to change anything. What's going to change it is taking the new generation and exposing them to different ideas and possibilities so that then we can live in the oneness and the love and the devotion and the peace that we all seek. She said, we cannot all succeed when half of us are held back. Speaking about women, speaking about children. We can't. We can't. And this is what we stand for as a, as a movement as well. Dr. Holmes said, take your good where you find it and leave the rest behind. She said, schools and education, she said, I stand before you today for schools and education for every bright child's future. One child, one teacher, one pen, one book can change the world. One consciousness changes the world. It's your, your, it's your consciousness, it's my consciousness, it's precious, it's precious. So here's this young girl that's had this experience that is standing up in front of the, the UN assembly and speaking this beautiful truth. As Dr. Holmes said, when, we are, when a small group of people come together for something, nothing can hold us back. What are we for? Why do we come together? Why do we gather? To continue to give birth to these beautiful, eternal spirits that are showing up on the planet. I was on, some, someone sent me a link of a 12-year-old boy in Egypt and I put it on my Facebook, so if you're Facebook friends, you'll see the link. And he, he's speaking in, in Egyptian, but they, the subtitles are there. And he's 12 years old, and he's explaining the problem politically in Egypt. And he sounds like Henry Kissinger. I mean, this kid is just going on and on. Here's a faction that's trying to hijack our government. We just got rid of a faction. And, and here's this, uh, this faction of people that, that want it all their way, and we don't, it doesn't, not what we stand for. And so they said to the, somebody, he said, well, how did you figure this out? Who told you? He said, nobody told me. He said, I listen and I think. Yeah. I listen and I think. So it's exciting when you hear that because it's alive. See, those are our brothers and sisters. We are in communication with that vibration. And as we become more fully resonant with it, it's more available. It's not just telephone. It's not just print. It's not just internet. It's an energetic Holmes said that it follows that the kingdom of heaven means the kingdom of harmony, of peace, of joy, of wholeness. It is an inward kingdom. Heaven is not a place but an inward state of consciousness. The kingdom is not external but within, within the mind. It follows that there is a great difference in believing God to be within you or outside you. Huge, huge, huge. Because God's out there, but God's right here. Divinity, 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 divinity. Holmes, um, Matthew Fox t- talks about Holmes writing about the Colorado Rockies. So there's a beautiful valley f- formed which many fountains gush forth. Each fountain is a different, more, more water comes from some than from others. But there's only one body of water at, at a deep subterranean level which flows through each one of them. We as individuals each have our own thoughts, feelings, hopes, and aspirations and desires. And each is directly and intimately connected with the one divine life, energy, and power. Each is a fountain of life. There is a God pressure back of each one of us. Isn't that a great metaphor? We're all fountains. And based on our, our, our subjective nature of belief and beingness, 
determines how much divine water can flow through us. Man, see, that fascinates me. That interests me to no end. To do the, to do the deep work that I get to engage in along with you and invite you along, to continue to do spiritual practice, to continue to do that terrible, nasty forgiveness work, if this little girl can stand up and give this speech about love and equality and oneness and possibility and education, you got shot in the head, who in my life can I not forgive? I mean, I, I, you know, I, she, she brings me to my knees with the things that I've held in, in, uh, against other people. But I mean, what a great, what a great example. What an inspiration. See, so what interests me is that I want the fullness of that divine flow of life, that fountain that I can be, to be, to be as healthy and as free-flowing as possible. I don't want it to be a, a raging torrent of water that destroys everything it touches, but I want it to be alive and meaningful and purposeful. And I know you do too. And you're doing that already. Just turn it up a little bit maybe, huh? There are many fountains, Holmes said, many individuals, but only one God pressure back of all of us. The whole divine... He talks a little bit about evil here, and I love this. I love Holmes' take on evil. The whole divine nature is reproduced in us. The whole divine nature, as we think, as we believe, so it is expressed in our lives. And some of it is so deep that we don't even know what it is. We're just having the experience and go, man, I don't want this anymore. How do I change this? The whole divine nature is reproduced in us, but we are ignorant of the fact. Our thought is creative, but in our ignorance, we use it destructively. This Taliban guy that shot the bullet, he was, he, he was all for that. That's his agenda. And we could say it's evil or it's bad or it's wrong and all those things, but really what it is at the end of the day, it's ignorance using his, his divine nature destructively. Theology has called this the problem of evil. We call it a misuse of that which is good. A misuse of that which is good. To learn to think in the right manner is to learn to create that which is good and which gives complete expression to the self without ever containing anything destructive or negative. And then Holmes talks about love. Love overcomes evil. To understand that love overcomes both hate and fear is one of the chief requisites of a scientific mental practitioner. Love overcomes both hate and fear is one of the chief requisites of a scientific mental practitioner. People ask me, you know, did you mail away for your ministerial credential? No. It takes about seven years to become a minister in our teaching. It takes about four years to become a practitioner. Somewhere in there, a long time. And part of the reason is, is because there's too much of us in the way. And so we have to learn how to take our perception and shift it and change it so that when someone sits down and goes, you know, my life is a mess, you don't want to sit down with a practitioner and they go, well, tell me more about that. And as the story unfolds, they can start to agree with you on the mess. It's to be able to sit with someone in compassion and love and to help hold the high watch, as Emma Curtis Hopkins said. But to sit in love. Love does not overcome hate and fear by argument or force, but by some subtle power of transformation, transmutation, sublimation, invisible in its essence, but apparent through its act. Love is the victor in every case. Love sets the captive free. And at the same time, we should not flatter ourselves that we can overcome goodness. 
it appears that we have the ability, at least temporarily, to pollute this stream of life with the consciousness of hate, despair, or any negative thought which denies its purity. But of course, we do not really have the power to destroy, only to mold and remold. And I said that earlier. We can't destroy it. We can't diminish it, but we can mold and remold. And so when we, we go off the rails and we, we do our thing, and that the law that Holmes talks about is always saying yes, always agreeing with us. So it's really about being aware of where we're getting in, in our own way, where too much of us gets in the way, and where we can step in and we can borrow a practitioner's consciousness, where we can have spiritual practice that'll pull us out of that. The last piece I want to share with you is that in celebration of this young Malala and her consciousness and what she's in, and someone said in the tweet I can't wait till she's the president of Pakistan and who knows maybe she will be but it speaks to youth it speaks to wonder it speaks to joy and this is what and this is why we're here as well so I want to share this with you celebration of life wonder and youthfulness are signs of the spirit Holmes believes that youth is not a time of life, it is a state of mind. Nobody grows old merely living a number of years. People grow old only by deserting their ideals. When it, whether 70 or 16, there should be in every person the love of wonder, the sweet amazement at the stars and the star-like things and thoughts, the undaunting challenge of events, the undaunting challenge of events. So that when we see and look out in the world at things that don't look good, to be undaunted by the challenges they present us. The unfailing childlike appetite for what's next and joy in the game of life. Man, I love that. Isn't it fun to live like that and have a teaching that just says, man, we're here to, we're here to live in the wonder and the joy. What's next? Because, yeah, there's stuff out there, but you know what? There's so many these kids are waking up. This, this young girl's like, oh, my gosh. You know, we'll get, her on our ban- I'll get a banner up on the wall for her here. Beautiful. You are, Holmes says you are, young, you are as young as your faith and as old as your doubt. Hmm. As young as your confidence and as old as your fear. As young as your hopes and as old as your despair. Meister Eckhart taught that God is the newest thing in the universe and therefore the youngest spirit of all. To be godlike is to be young in spirit. All right. So, your homework this week. Anybody like some homework? All right. This comes from the 30 things to stop trying to be. I'm going to give you one this week. Stop trying to be someone you're not. One of the greatest challenges in life is being yourself in a world that's trying to make you like everyone else. Someone will always be prettier. No. <laughs> someone, someone will always be smarter. Someone will always be younger. But they will never be you. Don't change so people will like you. Okay? This is your homework. Don't change and so people like you. Because... In being yourself, the right people will love the real you. Isn't that sweet?
takes a lot of pressure off. What are we going to do with the rest of the time we have on our hands? <laughs> be you. Be you. You are it. You are the thing itself. And all the hustle and bustle and worry and figuring and manipulating to slow down and have a bit of time to just bask in the knowing that it, you are the thing itself. You are divinity. You are an eternal being. You have always been. You will always be. And you have incarnated at this point in time to help shape and give birth to whatever you choose to give birth to. And we can, we can use it for purposes that are not in alignment with divine good or we can use it to, to align ourselves up with the highest thought possible. I find the highest thought possible very interesting. I've, tr- I've, I've run the course with all the other stuff. And it always brings me back to me and my work. We're doing a sacred healing circle this this. Uh, next week and I'm really excited we haven't done one for a while but what I love about that work it's it's not a quick fix but it's such deep powerful wonderful work to get ourselves those parts of ourselves to get in our way a little bit farther down the road so that something new can be given birth and it's just powerful and it's wonderful work but it requires practice but does not everything that's good require practice yeah, I was talking to Marcia Sutton this last week. She sent me a book because she said, you're, t- you're ready for this book. I love having Marcia in my life. She says, you're ready to read this book. It's one of my favorites. So I'm just like, oh, man, it's coming. I'm, it's like Christmas. But, but she said, this is probably one of the most revolutionary practices we have on the planet right now. And it's part of our tradition. And that's what we do. And it's what we're giving birth to as a community. And who knows what wants to happen? It'll be something good. It'll be something perhaps we can imagine or something even better. So your homework this week is to stop trying to be somebody else and just be you. That takes a lot of pressure off of you and probably a lot of pressure off your family as well. And then love, then that love becomes the love that we we continue to grow within ourselves. So that expression of love is the acceptance, the self-acceptance and the divine grace of who we are. To stop beating ourselves up and all the pressure we, we put on ourselves. I'll, I'll share one more piece with you. It's just stop lying to yourself. Because trying to be somebody else is lying to yourself. You can lie to anyone else in the world, but you can't lie to yourself. Our lives improve only when we take chances, and the first and most difficult chance we can take is to be honest with ourselves. To be ourselves and be honest with ourselves. And then we create that space and that room for something beautiful and wonderful to continue to be expressed. So let me know how that goes this week for you, okay? So it is. Thank you.